صلى الله عليك يا رسول الله صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي وابن مولاي يا أبا عبد الله يا رحمة الله الواسعة ويا باب نجاة الأمة ويا عبرة كل مؤمن ومؤمنة يا ليتنا يا ليتنا كنا معكم سادتي فنفوز فوزا عظيما قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم وقوله الحق وهو أصدق الصادقين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إنه فتن يقال له إبراهيم Screen your gathering with remembrance of Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. As a gift to the soul of Sayyidina wa Mawlana, Al Imam Al Hussein, his honorable brother Abul Fadl Abbas, his companions recite the second salawat. for Allah to shower onto this gathering with his infinite mercy and compassion, to hasten the reappearance of Sayyidina wa Mawlana Sahib al-Asri wa-Zaman, recite the third salawat with the loudest of your voices. <laughs> Not long ago, during the pandemic, I received a phone call It was a woman crying behind the phone She could not hold back her tears And she kept repeatedly asking me one question. Are you willing to speak at my daughter's eulogy? Are you willing to attend my daughter's obituary? Say it, she's dead. She was only 16 years old. I lost my daughter. I immediately said yes. Without hesitation, I accepted. 
she went on to explain to me that she took her life. My daughter took her life. She's no longer with us. We agreed on a date and time. I was given a Zoom link and we ended the conversation. When we finished the conversation, I looked at the WhatsApp picture, the display picture. And it was a picture of a young, innocent girl, smiling. She had put her daughter's picture as her display picture on WhatsApp. I asked myself, how could this be? This is so tragic. What will I say tomorrow? How will they cope with this pain? The next day, using the Zoom link, I attended this event which was held online. And prior to my address, her father spoke. He spoke of his beautiful memories with his daughter. How much he loved her. How much he's going to miss her. Then he took out a note, a small note. He showed it to everybody. This note was extremely heartbreaking. It was extremely tragic. The note was very small. One sentence, one line. It read, tell my story. So what was her story? Her story was that she fell in love with her so-called soulmate in high school. And he left her. She took her life. It sounds very simple. But he went on to explain this is not the full story. There is much more to it. There is much more to what led to my daughter taking her life. And that is the story of millions, millions of teenagers that have taken their lives. I'm sure every single one of you sitting here has a story about a teenager who decided we're going to run away from life. We're going to end our lives. A story of pain, a story of trauma, a story of neglect, a story of agony, a story of abuse, a story of confusion, a story of weakness, and a story of a sad departure from this world. And tonight, my dear brothers and sisters, is dedicated to a hero. A hero from the heroic story of Ashura. A man who could not resist the cries of the children. The children who were thirsty. They were crying. He could not sit back. He could not just watch them suffer. 
He could not hear the cries of the innocent children. So he went to fetch them water to quench their thirst. And when he was not successful and he fell on the sands of Karbala, Imam al-Hussein came to him. He said to him, Ya Abu al-Fadl, allow me to take you back to the tents. You're my brother. Abu al-Fadl said, no. Please do not take me back. Why, Ya Abu al-Fadl? Because I am ashamed of the kids. What will I tell them? That your uncle failed you? Your uncle could not bring you water? How can we hear the story of Abu al-Fadl Abbas, Qamaru Bani Hashim, Saqi Utasha Karbala, and we are not inspired to hear the cries of our own flesh and blood, our own children, our own teenagers who are in crisis, who are contemplating suicide. And I tell you at the leadership, we have to change our strategy. We have to change our vision. Why? Because if you look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, his greatest of companions, the superstars surrounding Rasulullah, were all teenagers, young men. Go read the biography of the majority of the Sahaba of Rasulullah, especially the loyal ones. The ones that stuck with Amir al-Mu'mineen and Imam Hassan and some of them lived in the time of Imam al-Hussein. They were all young men. Look at the superheroes of the battlefield of Karbala. The vast majority of them, the vast majority of them were young men. Look at the companions of Imam al-Sadiq the founder of our school of thought, the founder of our madhab. They were all mostly young men. Hisham ibn al-Hakam was young. Zurara was young. Muhammad ibn Muslim was a young man. They were all young men. So how was it that Islam attracted them now? Islam was attractive to them. They were motivated, resilient, infatuated with the love of Allah, Rasulullah, and the Imam of their time. And why is it that we're not as successful today with the teenagers? The answer is, it's because we're not following the same footsteps of Rasulullah. We're not following the same footsteps of Imam al-Hussein, of Imam al-Sadiq. I know in many communities, and I can say this here because this is not the case here. In many communities around the world, and especially in America, Many people who are listening to me today, the priorities not given to the youth in the centers, in the majalis, and selecting speakers, and selecting a capable leadership, the priority is not given to the youth. It's given to the elders, the ones that have more money. And that is why we suffer today. And those individuals are the future of Islam. Islam depends on them. They are the future of our communities. 
And that is why tonight I'm going to lend my voice to them. I'm going to lend my voice to those who are seen but not heard. To those suffering, whether it's at home or within their communities. And in the very beginning of my address, before I engage in this topic, I want to say this. My dear friends, our beloved teenagers, you must know that we love you. Your father loves you. Your mother loves you. Your grandparents love you. Your family love you. Your community loves you. And yes, I understand your pain. I understand your pain. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to find your identity. You're trying to find acceptance. You're trying to fight temptation. Your body's going through all sorts of changes. There could be confusion. But you should not be confused about one thing. Please, take this from me. You should not be confused about your father and your mother loving you. And more importantly, you should not be confused about Allah loving you. Allah loves you. You're not alone. Allah is with you. And I... have heard that a lot of teenagers doubt the love of their parents for them. Nobody loves me. My parents don't love me. My dad doesn't love me. My mom doesn't love me. Nobody understands me. And I tell you, we all we all, every single one of us deserves to be loved. Every single one of us deserves to love. Every single one of us deserves happiness. But I want to tell you this, my friends. The very first step to your happiness does not start with your mom and it does not start with your dad and it does not start with your high school teacher and it does not start with your crush. It starts with yourself. You have to shake up the negativity you have to be strong. You have to want to stop being confused. You have to make certain decisions in your life which will make you happy. Do not sit there and tell yourself every single day that nobody loves me, nobody understands me, nobody cares for me. I feel neglected. I feel abused. Yes, sometimes people make mistakes. Maybe even your parents make mistakes. But that is the process. They are learning to be parents. And guess what? They're not going to learn with the neighbor's kids. They're going to learn with you. It's a process. They're also learning. They're not infallible. 
So you also have to help them and give them a chance. And I want to examine this topic tonight, an extremely important topic, a dear topic to all of us. After your three loud salawats ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. First and foremost, why do teenagers think about love so much? Yes, one reason could be the hormones. One reason could be the biological change that they're going through. One reason could be that they're lacking love at home, or they feel that they're lacking love at home. But I want to say this. I believe that one of the greatest reasons, if not the biggest and the greatest of reasons, is television. Is what we feed ourselves, the movies that we watch. And we don't think of this. But you tell me, find me any movie, any movie, any cartoon, that does not contain a love story. Even children cartoons, five years old, 10 years old, they're sitting there watching it over and over again. It's gotta have a love story. And this affects people. How does it feel to be loved? I wanna feel loved. I also wanna love. And another reason is because they feel like nobody understands them except this one person. So when they engage with this person and there's some sort of understanding, then communicate with each other freely, it develops a feeling. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the ability to love and to want to be loved. So those feelings develop. And then when those feelings develop, what happens? You plan your entire life and according to, according to, you know, the, to this person. Suddenly the hairstyle changes. Why? Because this is what she likes. This is what he likes. The way we act, the way we, we behave, the way we think. The way we attend school. Sleepless nights. And you know, you don't want to eat. You don't want to do anything. And sometimes it gets very tough on certain people. Another reason is because culturally here in America, and I really believe in this, is that success is associated with not being what? Single. If you're in high school and you're single, you're not a cool kid. You're not somebody that people want to hang out with. And it's the pressure every single day at school and wherever they go. Now, what happens? What happens if you love someone or you think you love someone or you have a crush on someone and that person doesn't love you back? Don't tell me it hasn't happened. If it hasn't, it's just a matter of time. So people feel devastated because the only thing they see in life is this person. My happiness is with this person. And suddenly you find teenagers looking up, you know, what is a soulmate? Is this person my soulmate? 
and they think that, you know, I'm going to spend my, the rest of my life, the rest of my days with this person. And of course, that's not the case. But they don't know that at that period, at that phase they're going through, right? So when they receive rejection, when they feel rejected, this person doesn't love me, she doesn't love me, he doesn't love me, now the entire world is gloomy and I give up on life. Because this is the most important thing in my life. If I can't have him, why should I study? Why should I even do anything? Life has now become meaningless. And I tell you, the best way to overcome this, the most powerful way to overcome this, is to work on yourself. Invest on yourself. Don't invest in others. Because those are your golden moments. Those years are your golden days. You're free. You have no responsibilities. You got no bills to pay. You don't have to have a job. You don't have to do much except study and focus on yourself. Don't invest your entire life, your energy, your joy, your pain in someone else, especially if they don't care. And what do you do then? You make a comeback. You know, I read in the biography of one of the most iconic athletes that this guy, nobody wanted to be with him when he was in high school and whatever. He didn't get the attention from the ladies. But guess what? Five years later, there wasn't a single, well, I'm just saying this in a, an exaggerating manner. No, there wasn't nobody that didn't want to be with him. You know? Make a comeback. Work on yourself. Invest in yourself. And that is how you deal with haters. In every aspect of your life, I'll give you a solution for haters. Make a comeback. Work on yourself. Today, the best of authors, the most successful businessmen and women, presidents, prime ministers, revolutionaries, people with an impact, are the ones who were rejected. They were haters, and the haters motivated them even more. Why? Because I have something. Now I need to prove myself. I need to make a comeback. Keep that as the most important lesson in your life. Number three, what is courage? A lot of people, when we're teenagers, we confuse what courage is. We think courage is to face three people, for example, the football field after school, and we're not afraid to get into a punch-up with them. That's courage. Or some people nowadays think that courage is if I go and I leave a mean comment under somebody's post. No, you're ugly. I hate your shoes. Your hair looks awful. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares. We think this is courage. Why? Because I had the courage to do this. I had the courage to write this. Or to be the troublemaker at school. You know, I don't mind detention. I don't mind being expelled. I'm not afraid of my parents. You afraid of your parents? What kind of guy are you? You're afraid of your dad? You listen to your dad, man? I heard somebody say this. A teenager said was speaking to another teenager and he was saying, man, you're scared of your dad? That's so 1990s. I was thinking of this guy. <laughs> That's when I was a teenager. <laughs> I felt really old. <laughs> I 
You know what real courage is? Real courage is to be able to stand after you fall. Takes a lot of courage. You know what real courage is? Is to keep trying. Though you know that maybe I'm still going to fail. Maybe it's going to take another 10 tries, 20 tries, 30 tries. Maybe it's going to take an entire year. But every time I fail, I'm going to stand up again. That is courage. Send those brothers here so I can see them in front of me. Salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Real courage is patiently waiting. Real courage is to feel that you're alone. Yes, you feel you're alone, but you don't give up. But real courage, honestly, real courage is to look at this huge mountain of problems and attack it. It's not, you know, real courage is you go up to this girl and uh, um, I was going to tell you that I, I really like you and, uh, and here's my phone number. <laughs> and I feel that, unfortunately, today courage is also something that is misunderstood. Why? Because this is not what media and television and movies show us. They talk about courage. They talk about a guy killing another guy or attacking him or another guy trying to win over so many girls. And supposedly he's a hero and he's courageous. But I tell you, real, real courage was displayed by Imam al-Hussein and you are at the school of Imam al-Hussein. When a man stands and he sees 25,000 people in front of him. And he does not run away. This is a problem that I need to face. I need to rise to the occasion. I'm not going to be fearful. Real courage was displayed by Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam. You know when? Not in Khaybar. Not in Khandaq. Not when he slept in the, battle of, the, the bed of Rasulullah. Of course, those were all courageous acts. But real courage was when Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen remained silent. Because that's what Rasulullah told him to do. Ghadir. مَنْ كُنْتُ مَوْلَاهُ فَهَذَا عَلِيٌّ مَوْلَاهُ All the Muslimin come and give allegiance to him. He's the first Muslim. He's the defender of Islam and Rasulullah. But Rasulullah told him, and I spoke of this last year, remember? Rasulullah told him, يَا عَلِي سَتَكُونُ مِنْ بَعْدِ فِتْنَةِ After me, there will be chaos. There will be disloyalty. You will not be able to sit on the chair of Khilafah. What should I do, Ya Rasulullah? You, you must remain patient. Sometimes it takes a lot of courage not to say anything, to remain patient. You are at the school of Ahl al-Bayt Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhim who were not afraid of poverty. You've all heard and read the stories of Imam al-Hassan al-Mujtaba. Tens of occasions. People come and ask him, Ya ibn Rasulullah, we heard you are the most generous man in Medina. And we are here to ask of your generosity. Imam Hassan 
gives them all that which is in his home, everything. Sometimes it was five dinars and sometimes it was 500 dinars. This takes a lot of courage. People who came and insulted Imam al-Baqir. In one tradition, a man not only insulted him and he called him Baqara. You all know the story. Imam al-Baqir was called a Baqara. A Baqara is a cow. And what did Imam al-Baqir say? Imam al-Baqir says, you seem hungry. You seem like you're a visitor here. You seem like you don't have a home. Can I offer you some food? Can I offer you my home? Can I help you in any way? It takes a lot of courage, brothers and sisters, to be attacked. Keep a smile. Control your anger. And today, if you feel depressed, you feel neglected, you feel there is trauma in your life, hold on. Stand tall. Do not give up. That is real courage. Another very important point that I want to talk to my respected friends, my beloved friends, the teenagers, talking to your parents. You should go to your parents. Why? Because we don't know when is the best time to talk to you. Your parents, they don't know. They may choose a time where it's not the best of time, right? And you get upset. Why are you lecturing me every day? I don't want to hear about this. And if they initiate a conversation, they'll have something to say, right? But why don't we do things differently from now on? Why don't you initiate the conversation? Because then they'll have to listen. Because you go to your dad and you say, listen, dad, I need an hour. I, I want to speak with you. So he now knows he has to listen. And it's not going to be him speaking. And if you're done speaking to your parents and you don't need advice, just say, I'm just here to tell you how I feel. You don't need to tell me anything. Now I'm going to leave. Get up and leave. But talk to your parents. And you should be the one that initiates this gesture and this conversation. And feel free to ask, Dad, Mom, older brother, I don't want to do this at home. I want to go on a walk. Take me somewhere. Take me over for dinner. I guarantee your parents will be delighted. They will be happy. And if you are a parent, and your children come to you telling you that they want to speak with you, I said this yesterday, love equals time. You must make time. One thing that this man was saying in the obituary was that I was going through financial crisis. I was losing my business. I was going bankrupt. So my daughter came to me a few times saying, Dad, I need to speak with you. And I told her, please, give me some time. I'm in a crisis. I cannot. He was breaking down himself. He was explaining to us how he was even contemplating suicide. But he says, there is nothing more that I regret than not making time for her. The fifth point, it's also very important. You're not alone. What do I mean you're not alone? There is a lot of teenagers going through the same thing. That's not what I meant. It is true, but that's not what I meant. It means that guess what? Your parents went through the same thing. They might not admit it to you, but your parents also. Every single person in those years had ups and downs, went through sadness, depression, fell in love, had a crush, contemplated suicide. All those things are there. In fact, 
it is inseparable from being a teenager. So don't think, oh, my dad won't understand me, my mom won't understand me. They'll understand you. Believe me, they'll understand you. And more importantly, we as parents must remind ourselves as well that one day we were their age and we were struggling the same way. So we must be more understanding. And that does not mean, and I have to re-emphasize, that does not mean we do not discipline our children. We neglect our children. We allow the school to discipline them. In school, there is no disciplining. In fact, in some schools, there is barely education now. Talking about moral values at school? Let's be real. School is not going to teach your kids moral values. It's not going to teach them ethics. In fact, forget moral values and ethics. You're, it's not even going to teach them how to take care of their finances. If you have $100, $200, $500 today, how should you spend it? How should you invest it? Does it teach them, look, if you have $1,000, you can go and start an online business. This is how you run your business. This is how you grow your money. It's not going to teach them that. In fact, if anything, our kids are being taught how to spend money in a very meaningless way. Sixth point. We're going through those very quickly. I know many of the Muslim youth, teenagers are struggling for acceptance in this country, an identity crisis. A few days ago, somebody sent me a report that Muslim youth, Muslim teenagers, are four times more likely to feel lonely at school within their peers, amongst their peers, than other kids. So we understand you're going through a crisis to find yourself, to find your identity, to fit in. But I want to tell you one thing, brothers, sisters, especially you, my beloved community of teenagers, wherever you are. Prior to social media, I know you're thinking, ah, oh, he's talking about social media again, but just give me a second. Prior to social media, not everybody was willing to do drugs, right? There's a lot of people that said no to drugs. Hey, I'm not going to do drugs. I know drugs are harmless for me. I'm not going to jeopardize my life. I know better not to do drugs. But today, every single person is saying yes to a new drug. And that is social media. Do not fall into the trap of those who are trying to become billionaires off your life. Off your happiness. They're becoming billionaires off your mental health. Anxiety and depression and suicide rates are skyrocketing. Why? Have you thought about it? It's because of the social media. Because I care. I post a picture and I keep asking. By the way, this is not my, those are not my words. Go and look up the hearing that Mark Zuckerberg attended in the Senate. He confessed to his crimes. He said, we hired individuals from Vegas, addictive engineers, and we gave, him, we, gave, we gave them top dollar, come, create something that is addictive, just like drugs, worse than drugs, worse than cocaine, worse than heroin, worse than opioid, is that social media that you carry with yourself. Those are not my words. You post a picture, 
How many likes? How many comments? If you don't get enough likes or enough... Of course, there is, not, there is no such thing as enough because you're competing against other kids who, by the way, happen to become popular because of the algorithm. Because if there are no kids who are becoming popular, you're not going to try harder. So they'll play around with the algorithm. They'll shadow some people. They'll boost other people so that this guy is going to be devastated with, you know, 15 followers and his friend is going to have 15 million. And you're thinking, look, I'm doing the same thing. I'm posting the same pictures. I'm trying just as hard. How come she has 15 million followers and I only have 50? reality and you're getting there getting depressed fighting for acceptance acting in ways that you know you know you know are not compatible with human value why just because I want to get more likes how come nobody left me a comment and you all know about this. You all know about the depression and anxiety associated with social media. Now it's a drug. It's a drug in every home, in every pocket. Do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Cut down social media. Wallahi, cut it down for a month and you will see you'll be a much happier person. Much healthier person. And I said... We all need love in our life. This is how Allah created us. There is nothing shameful about love. I'm not here to shame people. I'm not here to put you down. But I'll tell you there is one love that is meaningful. Extremely meaningful. Extremely satisfying. It's one true love. It's a love that will never disappoint you. And that is the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your creator. The empire of Allah is not this universe. It's not this galaxy. The empire of Allah is your heart. Allah says in a hadith Qudsi, the heavens will not occupy me. The earth will not occupy me. This space, this is the sanctuary of Allah. This is the empire of Allah. And Allah says, welcome me into your heart. Allah in the Holy Quran says, When you allow Allah to reside in your heart, you'll feel content. You will feel happy. Even though things may look so terrible, like how it looked for Sayyidah Zainab. I explained this a few nights ago. How was it that she turns around and says, Ma ra'aytu illa jameela? I saw nothing but beauty. How is it that Imam al-Hussein was content with all the calamities that befell onto him? It's because this heart is content. This heart has embraced Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And while your friends may give up on you, while your family may give up on you, while even sometimes your parents may give up on you, but Allah will never give up on you. Allah's door will always be open. And if you don't have friends, 
Guess what? Who's going to be the best of friends? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You read in Joshan al-Kabir, Ya habiba man la habiba lah. Oh, the beloved of those who have no beloveds. Wa ya jalisa man la jalisa lah. And the companion of those who have no companions. He's always there to listen to you, to hear you. Create this relationship with Allah at a young age, brothers and sisters. Speak to Allah. I said this a few nights ago. Speak to Allah however and whenever. There are no prerequisites. Go to Him. Speak with Him. Instead of sitting there feeling so miserable, speak to Allah a few sentences and see how you feel. Try this. When you feel upset, when you feel no one understands you, when you feel neglected, when you feel trauma, when you feel depressed, God forbid if you're thinking of suicide, take a moment. Speak to Allah. A person comes to Musa. Moses was going to Mount Sinai. With this I'll conclude. I'll leave you with this. Most inspirational story. He was going to Mount Sinai. So he passed a, a man who was sitting. He said, Moses, are you going to Mount Sinai to meet with God? He says, yes, indeed I am. He says, I have a message for him. Can you take this message? He says, yeah, sure, what's the message? He said, tell him I hate him, please. So Musa said, okay, sure, but obviously he wasn't going to deliver that message. So he goes to Mount Sinai and he's meant to meet with Allah for 30 days. Then Allah said, we added another 10 days. Why? Because the, ne the next 10 days were, a, were a, a test for his people. They expected him after 30 days. He returned after 40 days. So within those 10 days, there was so much that happened. What happened to Musa? He ran away. He's not coming back. He, this, that. So there was a lot of chaos within his community. Every day, Musa, Allah would say, Musa, is there something you want to tell me? Is there a message that you have to deliver for me? And Musa would say, no, ya Allah, there is nothing really to discuss. The last moments, Allah said, Musa, are you sure you're not forgetting a message? Musa said, God, you know, there is a message, but I, I'm embarrassed. And I don't want you to be upset at this guy who sent this message. Allah says to Moses, he said, Ya Musa, was the message for you or was it for me? He said, no, no, it was for you. He says, then deliver the message. So Musa says, this guy, he says he hates you. God responds, go and tell him, I don't hate him. I love him. I created him. I'm responsible for him. Can I say this? Can I say that even if you're upset with God, tell him? Tell him. Tell him, oh Allah, I feel that you don't hear me. I feel that you don't see me. I feel that you don't look at the agony that I go through. I feel like you've ignored my family. You've ignored my mom. You've ignored my dad. Hello. I'm here. I exist. I'm here to tell you there is nothing wrong with that. But don't ever stop talking to Allah. Do not ever cut your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And today, like I said, belongs to a hero. Hero. My hero. Your hero. And the hero to every single person who hears his story around the world.
قمر بني هاشم he is also babu al-hawaij and he was the commander of the armed forces of imam al-husayn assalamu alayka ayyuha al-abdu salih المطيعُ لله ولرسوله ولأمير المؤمنين السلام عليك يا أبا الفاضل السلام عليك يا ابن أمير المؤمنين Take your hearts to بين الحرمين On one side there is Abbas On one side there is Hussein Imagine yourself there on the 10th of Muharram Abel Fadl comes to Imam Al-Hussein he says to him, Ya Akha, Ya Aba Abdullah. I no longer can bear the cries of the children crying out, Al Atash, Al Atash. Ya Aba Abdullah, give me permission so that I go and I fight your enemies. Imam Al Hussein says to him, Ya Aba Al Fadl, instead of doing that, Go and get them some water. Go get those thirsty children that haven't drank water for three days. Go and get them water. So Imam al Hussein wanted Abu Al-Fath to get water in return. Why? Because he told him, Anta sahibu liwa'i. You're the flag bearer of my camp. You're the protection of this camp. I cannot let you go. Abu Al-Fath took the bucket. He sat on the back of his horse. His face was full of nur. He was known as Qamaru Bani Hashim. You've seen the, the moon on the night of the 15th? Full of light, full of beauty. This was the title they had given Abel Fadl Abbas. Qamaru Bani Hashim. He sat and when they looked at him, he reminded them of his father, Amir Al-Mu'mineen. He went and he reached the Euphrates. Allahu Akbar. Tonight, brothers, sisters, I don't want you to be shy. I want you to raise your voice in crying. Why? You know why? Because Sahib al-Asri wa-Zaman, your 12th Imam, says, I, says to you, I promise you, it's a promise from your Imam to us, that if you were to recite the Masa'ab of my uncle, Abel Fadl Abbas, I will be there with you. And I will shed tears with you. He goes into the Euphrates. He's thirsty. He hasn't drank water in three days. He gets down from his horse. He fills the bucket. Then he wants to drink water. He holds on to the water. He brings it closer to his face. Then he reminds himself of the thirst of his brother, Imam al-Husayn. My brother Hussein, my Imam is thirsty. How can I drink water? Ya nafsumin ba'd al-Husayn huni wa ba'dahu ma'zilti an takuni هذا الحسين وارد المنون وتشربين بارد المعين هيهات He says, how can you drink water and Hussein is thirsty? Oh my nafs, you should not do that. You're better than that. How can I drink while Hussein is thirsty? هيهات, never. This is not what I was taught. He holds on to the bucket. He's marching back. Imam al-Hussein is also standing in front of the tents of the kids, the children, the thirsty ones, crying out, Al-Atash, Al-Atash, saying, here returns your uncle, Abel Fadl. He's coming back. The thirst, 
the children the children are joyful than a man a coward who was not willing to face Abel Fadl Abbas from his back took out a sword and amputated the right arm of Abel Fadl Abbas Wallahi if you know the lines I want you to raise your voice with me Wallahi all of us together نجل النبي الطاهر الأميني. He took the bucket in his left arm. Another Malun came and amputated the left arm. He took the bucket. He put it in his mouth. He was still going, galloping towards Imam Al Hussein. They came in front of Abel Fadl Abbas. And they shot his eyes with two arrows. The arrows landed in his eyes. He stopped. He couldn't move. Where is he going? Another arrow landed in the bucket of the water. He felt the water falling on the ground. He must have been ashamed in that moment of Imam Al Hussein. He must have been ashamed in that moment of the children. He called out, Ya Akha, Ya Aba Abdullah, oh my brother Hussein, this is where I'm going to stop. I can no longer continue my journey. When he stopped, a man came with an iron pole and hit him on the back of his head. Brothers, I ask you, if somebody falls off a horse, what do they do? They used their hands to protect themselves, but Abel Fadl had no hands. He fell on the ground, calling out his brother for the very first time. He would never call him Ya Akha. He would always call him Sayyidi, Mawlai, my Imam. But the, for the first time, he called out Ya Akha. يا أبا عبد الله أدركني come to my rescue Imam Al-Hussein went to him but you know how he went to him he, Imam Al-Hussein was no longer able to walk he walked with his hands on his back saying يا أبا الفاضل يا أخا الآن انكسر ظهري الآن قل الآن شمت بي عدو عمد الحديد بكربلاء خسف القمر من عاشم فلتبكه العليا مضار فمشى إلى السبط ينعاه كسار تلآن ظهري يا حبيب ومعيني Imam Al-Hussein came, he held him on his lap. Abu Al-Fadl could not see, so he didn't know who's holding on to his head. He says to him, oh man, I want one thing from you before you amputate my head. Allow my brother Hussein to get here. I want to say my goodbyes to him. He says, ya Akha, ya Abu Al-Fadl, I am your brother Hussein. Allow me to take you back to the tents. Abu Al-Fadl says to him, Ya Hussein, how can I go back to the tents? What will I tell the women and the children that I could not bring them water? Please, Hussein, leave me here. Allahu Akbar. This is one moment for Abu Al-Fadl. And the other moment was with, was with was with when Zainab was leaving Karbala. She looks at the dead bodies, the slain bodies of her brothers. But she goes to Abbas. She says, oh Abbas, remember when you put me on the back of the camel? Who is there to give put me back on the back of the camel now? Ya Abel Fadl. Abel Fadl, man tell me you give it to me. Oh, 
مسني سيات زجر الورمتني سيات زجر الورمتني all of us the soldiers of Hussein the soldiers of Abel Fadl Abbas together we raise our voice now for moments to repay our allegiance to Imam Al Hussein. Labbaika ya Hussein. Labbaika ya Hussein. No, 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 no. Louder, brothers, sisters, everyone, people outside, upstairs, wherever you are. Labbaika ya Hussein. Labbaika. All of us, Labbaika Ya Hussein, Labbaika Ya One more time, Labbaika Ya Hussein. Brothers, before we pass over to our dear brother Haj Nuri, that's doing an amazing job every night with his most beautiful poetry for Imam al-Hussein. I want to tell you that tonight we have a reenactment, a scene from the tragedy of Abel Fadl Abbas, and tomorrow as well. So for a moment, the lights are going to go off. I want you to remain seated, inshallah, and shed some tears for the tragedy of Imam al-Hussein. <laughs> 